Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can there be an economics of consciousness? If quantum mechanics can explain paranormal experiences, would a quantum economics have paranormal implications? Where would the darker aspects of human nature come into all this? Greetings and welcome to the 589th broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those thrifty questions, or maybe nifty questions, came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening, we once again bring you a world-renowned guest who uses quantum physics to push the boundaries of human understanding. And we welcome your calls this evening. The numbers are 800-449-1240, that's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, and 401-766-1240 locally. And uh, you can also check, you can also send us an email. If you do not feel like talking with us verbally, uh, you can uh, send us an email, Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. And don't forget about our Facebook page. Amit Goswami, now retired, was professor of physics at the University of Oregon's Institute of Theoretical Science for over 30 years, beginning in 1968. One of the world's most renowned physicists, Dr. Goswami is a revolutionary and a growing body of renegade scientists who in recent years have ventured into the domain of the spiritual in an attempt both to interpret the seemingly inexplicable findings of their experiments and to validate their own intuitions about the existence of a spiritual dimension of life. Essentially, he espouses the position that consciousness creates the material world that we see. A prolific writer, teacher, and visionary, Dr. Goswami has appeared in the movie What the Bleak Do We Know, the Dalai Lama Renaissance, and the award-winning documentary The Quantum Activist. He is the author or co-author of many scholarly articles, and his books include The Self-Aware Universe, a primary influence on me in my salad days, Quantum Mechanics, the Visionary Window, A Quantum Physicist's Guide to Enlightenment, Physics of the Soul, The Quantum Doctor, A Quantum Physicist Explains the Healing Power of Integral Medicine, God is Not Dead, What Quantum Physics Tells Us About Our Origins and How We Should Live, Creative Evolution, A Physicist's Resolution Between Darwinism and Intelligent Design, Quantum Creativity, and How Quantum Activism Can Save Civilization. And his latest, released only a few weeks ago, Quantum Economics, Unleashing the Power of an Economics of Consciousness. His website, amitgaswami.org. So, Dr. Amit Gaswami, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Nice to be back. It's wonderful that you have, um, you have called me again. Well, very good. Well, you're a very pleasant and congenial guest, and uh, certainly an honor to have you on the show. Indeed it is. So let's start off with uh, first things first here. So the word quantum is uh, peppered throughout your writings as well as throughout many of our shows as well. It's a fine word to use. So what does quantum mean? That's a good question to begin with. The, quantum, the word quantum itself um, means uh, originally was then to mean discrete quantity. It just means quantity in Latin, but it was used in physics to mean a discrete quantity. And that says nothing about what we are talking about. Quantum physics, however, when it was discovered in its full form, full mathematical form, then uh, it was found that indeed the message is radical. message is that um, matter consists of possibilities residing in a domain of potentiality that is outside of space and time. In other words, this uh, philosophy of scientific materialism that we have been following for the last 60 years is, um, is wrong. That assumes that there is only matter moving in space and time, and there is nothing else. 
So um, uh, it is vitally important then to uh, develop a new science based on primacy of consciousness because the domain of potentiality is consciousness. And uh, quantum economics is just a uh, uh, consequence of that science. Well, one of the very uh, important things that happens with uh, science within primacy of consciousness is that you value all of our experience. And if we value all of our experience, we uh, recognize that our needs will not only be about, about material needs, but will also uh, include our other experiences like feeling meaning and values. Feeling uh, is vital energy, that's what we feel. Uh, thoughts are meaning, so that's what we think. And values is what we think. And all this can be put into, put into the economic equation. When we do that, the consequences are wonderful. Hmm. Okay, one of the issues, Doctor, is that um, th there is, at least as, as I came up, and you know, I'm not a scientist, I'm more of a philosophy guy, there was an issue in, in quantum mechanics about how the macroscopic level versus the microscopic level. In other words, there were some who believed, and you correct me if I'm wrong, some who believed that uh, the, the quantum effects were primarily felt on the um, subatomic level and that the, um, the odd defiance of what we think of as linear time, things of this kind, uh, did not occur on the macroscopic level, on the level of people and trees and cars and all this sort of thing. And, um, but but here, here we are applying the principles of quantum mechanics to uh, a, a macroscopic phenomenon, albeit an abstract one, which is economics. Can you address that, that dichotomy, and do you believe that uh, that's a problem when it comes to applying quantum principles to the larger levels of life? Uh, what um, that view uh, does is you sophisticate to hide the fact that um, once reality is recognized to have two domains, that just cannot go away. Hmm. It's not a question of micro and macro. For macro also, all macro objects also if quantum mechanics is correct, then they must also be objects of potentiality to begin with and therefore must reside in a domain of potentiality. And then it's important to recognize what this domain of potentiality is. When we address this issue, we find that the domain of potentiality has causal power to choose among the potentiality and that's how potentiality becomes actuality. So uh, what in our facility has causal power to choose? It's our consciousness, of course. So we recognize that consciousness uh, is the reservoir of material potentiality, but consciousness uh, is not only the reservoir of material experiences. We also have subtle experiences, feeling, thinking, and intuition. Where do those experiences come from? Answer is those experiences also must come from the domain of potentiality at the same place. So those experiences also must start with possibilities, quantum possibilities, and that's why it's completely reasonable, in fact mandatory, that we generalize our science to the idea that we develop a science of experience where uh, not only the material, but also the uh, vital, mental, and supramental, the archetypal, the uh, values, are all uh, quantum possibilities uh, in the ground of being that consciousness is. 
And this is what gives us the power of developing quantum economics, uh, power of uh, quantum, applied quantum physics for all of our experiences. So this is, this is not perfect. This is just a natural consequence of how we, of how we do science. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm stepping on some of Ben's questions here, but you, you've got me thinking. Um, I've been having a discussion with an old friend over the past two weeks about the merits of science of the old school, which is very materialistic. And uh, so, uh, I know there are scientists, I know some, who are having trouble accepting many of the principles of quantum consciousness because it really takes them beyond the material, and that makes them afraid. How do you address these issues with mainstream, garden-variety, old-time scientists? Well, uh, see, look, if it's a really old, old-time scientist, uh, there is nothing you can say or do that will convince such a person right. that uh, his or her thinking is incorrect, because his old folks cannot think, uh, set themselves right. That is the general rule, and general rule is valid. Of course, you know, I, uh, I don't mean literally old. Uh, you know, no, my age no. is not exactly um, pink chicken age, <laughs> but, um, but, but mentally, spiritually old. And, and these old paradigmers are spiritually very old. Um, change will come from the younger generation. But having said that, anybody in the right mind who can believe that uh, scientific materialism uh, has run out of its use. It was very useful to combat uh, the stranglehold of religion, Christianity specifically. It was, because Christianity had such odd, um, old-fashioned pictures of reality in mind, which are very difficult to rationalize or talk about in modern scientific or otherwise, language, that, um, you know, that needed, needed to be changed, and scientific materialism did that. In the process, scientific materialism was also very good in terms of unleashing the creative power, human creative power, and um, giving us all kinds of help. But it did that when it was compromising with the idea that both matter and mind are real. But then what happened is that scientific materialism claimed to take over everything. It started demanding the know. Reality is just matter. And reality is just material machine. We are human beings are material machines. Now this is the part where things are grossly incorrect. Human beings, uh, however much you try, uh, and such machine uh, science has been around for social sciences for quite a while now, and you see the consequences around you. You see the consequences and you realize that this rendition of the human being is doing great harm to our civilization. In fact, destroying our civilization would not be an overstatement. And this is why all thinking people, uh, like our younger people, who know that they have to change this system, they are much more kind to message of quantum physics, and this is why my work and generally speaking, of people who have the quantum worldview, they are getting traction. Hmm. Okay, well, I'll certainly see what you mean. Ben, did you want to uh, oh, yeah, yeah, continue yeah, yeah. with this thing? Yeah. Well, I guess this sort of leads, leads to the, the next question. Uh, in, in your book, you refer to quantum ex economics as, as satisfying the subtle aspects of human needs. So, so what do you mean by that? Can you explain? Yeah, 
So we have the uh, material experience, and material is called gross because we experience matter with sensing, which can be shared with others. It's a public uh, reality that we all share, and so it's called gross because of that reason. Whereas we also have an internal world that we experience, but that is not shareable with other people. And we call it private, we also call it subtle, because only I can experience it, but I cannot share it exactly with you. You experience it too, so you, you can see that I, have, I must have similar internal experiences, but we and I could not share exactly the same experience moment to moment. This is the difference. So subtle, which means feeling, thinking, and intuition. Those are the three experiences that are private, and what I'm saying is that they give us needs. If we experience four types of things, we have needs of all the four types of experiences. If we become unbalanced and do too much of material and neglect the other, we become unhappy, dissatisfied, our life loses its zinc. Uh, and so these needs have to be satisfied. Maslow, uh, in a very important book written in the 60s, uh, suggested a hierarchy of needs. Yeah, Abraham Maslow, when, yeah. Yes, Abraham Maslow. Uh, if we satisfy our material needs, then immediately our, our need for satisfaction for the higher experiences open up. This is the idea then that can lead to a new economic. Because if we recognize that all, whenever there is a need which uh, we are ready to satisfy, there will be gifted people who will be ready to produce it. And that is exactly what is happening. We have needs for feeling, um, and exactly right at this moment, uh, vital energy has come to a mature state of scientific um, accomplishment that we have measurements and theory both are available, and we can use that to develop vital energy technology. This technology is so uh, much full of potentiality, it will be absolutely amazing. This is no less than all the, um, right now, every bit of any other big uh, picture in that you have in mind about future uh, industry and te technology, vital uh, energy can com uh, com compete with it very, very well. It's certainly much, much more uh, potentiality, has much more potentiality than solar energy, for example. Okay. Let's get into some practicalities. All right, we have an economy right now which, uh, despite its faults, has made more people prosperous materially at least uh, and but as you have suggested you know there are probably more people as prosperous materially as there ever been in history however it's a spiritual and moral desert uh, also at the same time what if we were to apply quantum economics tomorrow to the American economy or the Western economy in general because it's really one economy or even the global economy what would happen? What would change? Well, well uh, what would happen are magnificent things. So this is a good dream to talk about, but it is just a dream because you know and I know that the implementation of something like quantum economics will take decades. Oh, absolutely, uh, many, if not centuries. Uh, well, I hope it's not that long because um, this economics is not working. The capitalism influenced by scientific materialism is failing badly. So it better be changed faster than that, faster than a century. Um, so let's see what it will do. It will immediately get rid of the biggest top capitalism problem, which is the boom and bust cycle. 
immediately. Because the boom and bus cycle, yeah. Right. Boom and bus cycle. It, it establishes, for the, for the first time in economic history, establishes a way of doing economy, way of defining the market that balances uh, our um, consumption between material and disposal. And by balancing it, it also gives us access to an infinite uh, expanding market, namely that of subtle energy. And that's what saves the, uh, not only the woman bus cycle, eliminates that, but also uh, takes us towards sustainability. Sustainability will be, will be available within a few years of uh, new economy, quantum economy. Um, so those are the two immediate major consequences. Uh, but the other consequences, a little bit long term, but must be immediately mentioned which is that um, people will consume subtle, and the effect of consumption of subtle is something uh, remarkable. It changes you. If you um, uh, enjoy more vital energy, it changes you. It improves you towards uh, what I call positive vital energy. Instead of having your vital energy all locked up in what is called low chakras uh, in sexuality and violence and survival, if uh, you start lifting yourself to higher chakras, love, for example, expression, for example, intuition, for example, those all those things that you covet that give you satisfaction open up to you. So that would be a major social change. In the process, human beings, even labor, that concept will start changing. Right now, labor uh, does something in the production, but in a very low-level capacity, which uh, has no idea, uh, no, nothing to do with their change. They just make the money, and um, whatever change they want has to be made by uh, spending that money for other uh, uh, stuff. And this will be completely different, because now they can uh, spend their money uh, for other stuff, which include the subtle, or they can work directly in a subtle energy technology, both of which, uh, will start changing them. Personal growth will become the going thing. And therefore what happens is that people will develop what I call human capital. People will themselves become then available for being further resources for further deployment of uh, subtle energy. Uh, I'll give you an example. If a person learns to love by consuming, initially consuming love and then uh, a person's heart chakra opens up and he becomes a producer of love. In the proximity of such a person, the cancer patient will benefit because cancer is now being shown directly connected to a lot of love. Love defends cancer. So in this way, um, we, have a, we have a commercially profitable, healthy connection between consumption of vital energy and um, cure of cancer. So this, this kind of thing, this kind of possibility would be impossible to imagine without uh, quantum economics. Hmm. Well, there was uh, this, this sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, this sort of this this interesting talk of of consuming of uh, is is very interesting. I took a, I took a, a few anthropology courses when I was still in college, 
and um, one of one of the professors I had had a had a doctorate from Harvard, I think. I can't remember where she. Don't look at me. I, I can't. I can't remember. But she had a very interesting thing to say about um, globalization because it was all about re- the class was religion and globalization, which also went into uh, economics and stuff. So there was a really interesting thing that she pointed out, saying that e- in the West, in the Western Hemisphere at least, in the American or specifically in the American economy. For us to understand anything, we must be able to consume it. So, in other words, people of, of chil- children, teenagers in my generation, and pretty much anybody in their 20s and early 30s, they all have, have the, say, like uh, Hindu tapestries or like Buddha statues, but yet they don't quite understand it. It's like she gave the example of yoga coming to the United States, and it was sort of changed into this strange exercise craze and it lost all the spiritual value. So would you say that if people did start consuming quantum economics, would that change the idea, the spirit, like the spirit of the Western economy is to essentially consume things that we can understand? Do you think that we'd actually be able to understand that and implement it without changing its core essence? Yes. That is precisely who is this lady? She is absolutely a wise person. Uh, this is this is the point. Uh, you to in order to understand it, you need to consume something, and the consumption is lacking because the Western culture, the materialist culture, uh, co-opts everything. It co-opted yoga to be an exercise uh, routine, but yoga's exercise routine is a very poor exercise routine. This is what people don't understand. Half an hour of yoga is like comparing half an hour of walking, which is not uh, really very serious exercise, better than nothing. So for older people, yoga and, and uh, walking are the only prescription because that's the only thing they can do safely. But for younger people, why should they yoga then? then they should do gymnastics instead, which is much more rigorous. So, you know, as exercise, yoga is a failure. But Yoga's importance is not the exercise part. It's important is to uh, the fact that it throws you down and therefore has great spiritual consequences. It balances your yin and yang in the body. It allows you to feel better. It's a vital energy exercise, not just physical energy. Then these are the things that you get when you begin to consume yoga with understanding in mind and as you begin to understand, you realize that, oh, you are changing. Not only your way of um, living in the inside is changing, that is affecting also how you evaluate your outside experiences. And this is the way that the subtle economy will help people to grow into human capital. You know, right now, human beings are in great fear. I, I can understand why this question arose while talking about globalization. Globalization makes people in America afraid because they will lose jobs to um, outsourcing uh, the jobs into Africa and India and places like that. But it's nothing to be fearful about because look at what's happening in America. We are now a developed economy and we have satisfied our material needs. So our need for mental, vital and supramental spiritual uh, archetypes, these are on the up, these are on the increase. You know, even in the Great Recession time, I remember reading an article by a New York uh, Times columnist saying that people are not accepting low-level jobs. They are holding up for meaningful jobs, and this is prolonging the recession. 
And um, I said to myself, yeah, that's what makes sense, because it's a developed economy. We are fed up with hamburger jobs at, at McDonald's. We want better jobs. We want to process meaning on the job. Because if I take the hamburger job, then sitting hamburgers all day will prepare me only for watching TV in the evening. On the other hand, if I do meaning processing all day, then I'm ready for morning, more meaning processing in the, in the evening. So, you know, what will be my life? Meaningful life or will it be just watching meaningless things and doing meaningless jobs and roaming around the world having uh, no meaning, no values in my life, no creativity? This is different. What is up by power picture of a human being? If the human being is a machine, Sure, the latter picture is the only picture. I mean, you are clueless anyway. You are a machine. But if the human being is not a machine, which is more and more seems to be, and it is the perspective, then uh, it's the opposite now. All right, we're, excuse me, we're almost to our break, but I, I wanted to perhaps propose a question for you to consider, Doctor, over the break. Um, the... Um, and believe me, I mean no disrespect here. I don't think there are too many people on the planet I respect more than I respect you. However, it, it almost sounds, and I know what you're getting at, but it almost sounds like, and we're getting beyond, we're way beyond the paranormal here. We're going to get complaints from listeners. But it sounds like another version of utopia is being offered for our faith. You know, and <laughs> there are issues. Yeah, well. No, you can be verified. It has been verified by experimental data. It's being measured. We, without measurement, we would not possibly convince anybody to ever get into a vital energy venture. It's all very serious, my friend. Don't worry about that. Okay, well, you, all right. We, we, you've put my mind at rest to some degree, but then uh, you may have put my mind at rest, but human nature does not. So why don't we take our break, and then we'll – is it too early, Ben? No, we yeah, can, I okay. a, can I make a phone call to your because somebody is trying to follow me desperately? Okay, very good. Maybe it's the president. All right, we'll get back to you in a minute or two, but, but uh, okay. we'll, we'll be right back. I'll keep this on hold. I'll keep this on hold and get back as soon Okay, very good. There we are, everybody, the practicalities of telephone use. So anyway, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Manny Brando, reminding you that my show is on Owen every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. You forget about me. What about you? Virginia Brando, your co-host. You and I are going to have a talk. Again? And welcome back. And I wanted to remind Ben and I both wanted to remind you of several of the charities we have adopted. We're big on charities on this show. And the, certainly uh, veterans' charities as well. Uh, locally here in Rhode Island, southeastern Massachusetts, buildershelpingheroes.org. It's a uh, subsidiary of the Rhode Island Builders Association, nonprofit subsidiary. And they do things such as complete projects or even build whole houses for those who have suffered uh, in combat during the war on terror since 2001. 
and we have a, uh, a marvelous situation in Burrowville where in December 2013 I was privileged to be present uh, when they presented a, a home, a very large home, to a, a Marine who had lost both his um, legs in Afghanistan, and it was a wonderful experience, and all the vets turned out as great. So buildershelpingheroes.org, check that out, and donate if you can. Also... We have uh, usacares.org do uh, very, very th important things financially for veterans who are, who are short of money. Uh, and uh, they just uh, simple as that. You know, you can't make your mortgage payment that month. Check uh, goes out. So uh, usacares.org. Also, our uh, friends and relatives to the north in Canada, uh, Mike Blaze in Ontario, a veteran himself, has uh, started Canadian Veterans Advocacy several years ago, uh, doing great things legally and legislatively for Canadians in Canada who sometimes don't get uh, what we um, we get here in this country for our veterans. The Canadian veterans are uh, great, great people. I'm related to some of them. I have several cousins uh, who are veterans, and um, sometimes they don't they don't uh, have a lot of the benefits that the veterans do here. So to support that as well, Canadian Veterans Advocacy. So let's get back to our guest, Amit Goswami, renowned Dr. Amit Goswami, renowned uh, physicist, quantum activist, and we're talking about quantum economics. We're kind of skirting the paranormal subject, but the paranormal we based we believe is based on quantum physics, and anything having to do with quantum physics really in some ways has to do with the paranormal in the broad sense of the word. Especially with such a, an abstract topic as economics. Well, exactly. Okay, so uh, when we uh, took our break, we left Dr. Goswami with the, the idea that uh, w there may be some issues with human nature in establishing a uh, new, new kind of economics, uh, albeit over many, perhaps, decades. So, uh, Dr. Goswami, are you back with us? Oh, very good. All right. Somebody has to run an economy. And every time anything, I suppose, new in a way, such as Bolshevism or socialism, has been tried, other than on the community level, it's usually turned into a complete nightmare. And one thinks of Einstein's definition of insanity, you know, keeping, is it trying the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That doesn't seem to have happened with socialism except on the community level. How would you compare quantum economics, the vision of, of quantum economics, with traditional socialism? Well, it's, uh, it's all very different from socialism. That, what can I say? Socialism is a government-controlled system. This is why it doesn't work. It, it puts too much garden, burden on the government bureaucracy, and it also doesn't do anything to solve the problem of elitism, which is the basic problem, which was the basic problem of feudalism. Capitalism works because it is anti-elitism. It does not separate the lower level from the upper level. Anti-elitism, yeah, okay. Anybody from the lower level can come up, follow the American dream, and come up and become the upper level. And therefore, this constant upheaval from the lower level to the upper is what keeps the society going in a democratic way, and society going with capitalism, establish equality, and maintains the all-important middle class. This all-important middle class is how the civilization progresses, because middle class has both the prerogative, the incentive to be better, and therefore to make changes, and they also have the ability, the time to be creative. So have a middle class which are not burdened with meaningless jobs and have a middle class which also has the incentive not burdened with the complacency of wealth. That's what 
keeps the society going. That's what keeps the society creative. And this is what happened for the last 300 years, except for the last 50 years. This last 50 years, things have been going downhill. Uh, I don't know if you have noticed. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm because, of course, over 16, the, yeah. the Great Recession is a great reminder. But we have been going downhill ever since the 70s. Anybody who has calculated will find that, indeed, the income disparity has been growing since the 70s. What made the change? We had a couple of decades, the 50s and the 60s, good decades after the World War II. So what happened? We, the economy recovered wonderfully, and everything was going just quite nicely. But ever since the 80s, starting with Ronald Reagan, we um, uh, adapted. That's when the uh, scientific materialism became very strong, and that's also when uh, supply-side economics, all this voodoo stuff came, up, came about. And uh, the disparity became more and more um, very, very clear because of elitism. Why am I saying this? Socialism is also a form of elitism. Socialism is the solution of where scientific materialists would like to take things. But it doesn't work because the incentive of a person is very important for capitalism. Without that personal incentive, which goes away, if society has to provide everything like it does in uh, some of the countries already to such an extent that I can see a tendency of um, uh, incentive going away. I would rather live in a country where the incentive is there because this is the basis of uh, capitalism which works. What you are missing from quantum economics uh, when you put a question like that is that quantum economics is an extension of capitalism. Adam Smith capitalism without the modifications that it has undergone under scientific materialism, namely mm. making uh, economics mathematical, making consumer uh, demand predictable. These things are precisely the result of applying physics, uh, acting because of physics envy uh, in a subject uh, that strongly depends on the humanness of human condition. The humanness means that human condition is not completely rational. We have feelings. We are not really thinking machines. No. We have feelings. And we act out of these feelings very often making our economic decisions. This is what happened in the Great Recession. The, uh, the, the people who uh, sold those derivatives, they sold it on the premise that the housing market will go on uh, expanding forever. But it didn't happen. Why didn't it happen? Well, uh, first of all, greed. Second of all, people uh, became, again, greedy. So it's greed, greed, and greed. But where does greed come from? It's feeling. No, it's a, it's a condition that's built into human beings. So producers were greedy and consumers were greedy. That's what made the prediction strong. Unfortunately, they went very far with the assumption that the predictions would be right, mathematical predictions, and everything dropped so very quickly. This will happen again and again and again and again unless we remove this idea of mathematical economics um, and we come back to our original Adam Smith capitalism and extend it through the use of subtle economy. Because mm -hmm. if we don't extend it, this present economic expansion just cannot be continued. Sustainability just is not possible. And therefore, you have to do something. And human beings, you know, although they have been much reluctant, much resistance to change, but when you have to do something, when survival is at question, 
people are able to do things. Like World War II, they were able to do things. So I'm suggesting uh, not even very, really very drastic change, because these changes will come so slowly, so unobtrusively, and people will feel better so quickly that I don't think that once, once it is in place, uh, people will even notice that they are doing something very different. Because, you know, vital energy is something that people consume. It's just that they don't consume uh, in any constructed fashion, which could then uh, improve the economy, improve economics and economy. Mm. I'm sure you remember in the 1970s, uh, all we, and I was a student at the time, and all we heard was we need zero population growth. There are going to be too many people and this sort of thing. And then all of a sudden that died out. And uh, we have this enormous population, and uh, yeah. and I'm wondering what, what effect. Uh, certainly, the, the size of the population affects economics, and, and I suppose maybe to, to give a nod to something that's vaguely paranormal. There are a lot of conspiracy theories out there that that somebody, whether it be governments or whoever, the Bilderbergers or whoever the, the villains happen to be that week, want the population reduced and are arranging wars and pestilence and everything. So that, you know, I'm not saying I believe that, but some people believe that. But the point is, would quantum economics work in any orderly way or without turning into terror on the part of some government with a population of the size we have now? Or, or would it work better with a smaller population? Well, you, you, you know, the population scare is really not a very good scare because it's just not true. Oh, no, what I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying some people believe that. I know, I know. But, but what happens is that as the economy, as the material consumptions are met to a certain extent, even then, the urge of procreation already goes down. What happens is spiritual economy is so much better, you will be amazed. So what happened? Let's talk about uh, scientific materialism. Under the original religious worldview, human beings uh, had sex to procreate, basically. That was the only thing that church acknowledged, and people sort of went along with it, although I'm sure that people had pleasure with sex even then, but maybe they didn't admit it. Um, with scientific materialism, we legitimized sex, finally. We've gotten rid of all the restrictions, and we recognize sexual pleasure, and so now we have sex for pleasure. Um, with quantum economics, with spirituality coming into the picture, what happens when people start uh, engaging in love, they find that uh, they do not even have to uh, use sex for pleasure. They can use sex towards uh, jumping into or exploring love. And when you do that, what happens is that uh, after a while, sex becomes unnecessary. So as a neat result, why we are talking about this is that the procreation part, already it goes down when it starts completely into pleasure, like um, in Europe it is already, population uh, is, is actually going down and that is becoming a problem. Yes. So it's not really a problem. In America, of course, there is a lot of population which is not quite affluent yet. It's not quite materialistic yet. So there is a lot of, um, there is a little bit of population growth still going on. But it's nothing like India or China. It's nothing like that. In China, of course, they keep it down by force. That's a different story. Um, but it's nothing like India or Africa that the population growth uh, in America is. And what I'm saying is that with quantum economics, this will go down even further. 
in fact, we have to give incentive in order to maintain a zero population growth. Otherwise, it will be a negative growth. And that, of course, nobody wants because then we'll run out of labor force. We'll run out of the force to... And, and that we cannot do because I don't think um, we ever will have... You know, those are utopia. Like Star Trek imagines that everybody will have survival, everybody will have education, no word, nothing, and only frontier. No, that kind of thing will forever be out of our range because we just don't have that kind of resources. You know, energy will always cost a substantial amount of money, and we always have to keep an economy going, and we have to have jobs, and that is the way it is on Earth. All right. I'm thinking, too, of... All right, well, let's... Um, we've answered several of these questions, but... This, I'm thinking of, of the necessary quantum shift in human attitudes and human nature, uh, and I'm wondering, how do you begin to educate, to present this idea to garden-variety people? You know, how, where, where do you begin in this effort, other, other than your, your book? I have, I have suggested in the book itself, I have suggested a way that we can begin. Well, there are two, two problems. One way, of course, is that we uh, start vital energy deploying in a wider scale. It's already happening in small scale. I have noticed vitalized products being sold at conferences, especially on vital energy uh, conferences. Um, uh, healing is already taking place, but these are all small scale. We need large-scale deployment of vital energy, and this is where the instrumentation is crucial, and the instrumentation is coming along very nicely, thank you, um, there are two fronts of instrumentation. One is the Carlian photography, which is an old method, uh, but a new method is coming up very quickly called biophoton emission. We won't go into technicalities, but believe me, these are already tangible. They're already can measure vital energy from any part of the body, from any of the chakras, and therefore if I say that I'm selling you love and you are consuming it, uh, you can verify it by uh, measuring biophotons coming from your heart chakra. Yes. This is a measurable thing. You mm -hmm. can measure that you are receiving vital energy from me. I'm not making it up. I'm not depending on your feeling good. That's not what I'm depending on. I'm depending completely on actual experiments showing this, uh, this instrument telling you that, yes, you are receiving love from me. Mm -hmm. Because you, you have less biophotons coming from your heart chakra You're than right. would be otherwise. So it is this kind of thing that is essential to establish a vital energy technology. And large-scale deployment is what will do part of it. The other part is more difficult. And there we need, if we want quickly, then we need the government to cooperate. And it is also fairly easy. Next recession time, let the government do a very simple thing. We uh, give people unemployment insurance as part of our safety net. And um, it has good use because that keeps the economy going. They have spending money, they spend the money in the economy itself, and so the economy keeps going. Good idea. Except that this um, unemployment insurance, the public can have a point, um, includes lots of people really doing nothing. Because all they have to do, all they have to prove is that they're looking for a job. But jobs don't exist. So I'm going to ask you about that. It's a routine yeah. thing that people do for nothing. Instead, I suggest that people are sent, they have to go to school of vital energy, mental meaning, etc. They have to <laughs> they have to do something. Interesting and idea. If they, 
Yeah, if they do that, you know, say immediately you got on. So what happens is that we get production, production is automatically encouraged. This is like giving money to solar energy um, outfit so that they can compete with oil and other um, uh, technologies. It's very similar. So it's just an incentive to subtle energy, and government is creating those jobs, and, and they're also creating a, a clientship for those uh, that energy that, is, that has to be in there because that, is, that initiation is the most difficult part. Once people are initiated into these vital energy techniques, then they find uh, that it makes them joyful, it makes them satisfied. It's a very good um, result. But again, it has to be done by doses. And so what happens is that they can only uh, do something enthusiastically initially for a few months, but that's when the session goes away. And so uh, the timing sets it all work out. So as a result, we can eliminate the uh, bust and boom. This is part of the result. I have it all in the book. And um, part of it is that people learn and they find that, oh, this is nice. This is not so bad that I thought. It requires a little discipline, but uh, it's enjoyable. And that's the convincing, that's the re-education that we have to do initially. But once people get into it, you know, and once people realize that the, that the basic consumption that we have, uh, sex and violence, that is the entertainment industry today, we have a better alternative. Um, and we do it as part of the economy, not part of education, adult education, which doesn't work because when is adult education? Adult education is during the evening time. Evening time, adult education is a very poor idea to educate adults because, as I said, adults who are labor force, they're tired mentally, vitally. They want to flop before the TV. Only thing if they can do is to watch sex and violence to embody themselves. Don't expect anything from them. But I am talking about people who have huge amounts of time during the day to kill, and they get bored. And what to do instead of going to alternative here with pop and drinking beer? Uh, instead of that, they will be happy once they get the taste of it to consume vital energy, learn how to uh, engage in vital energy, how to engage in meditation and these techniques are keeping them healthy. They very soon recognize that this is giving them positive health and then there is no stopping them. They keep doing them. Yoga is very popular, by the way. Yes. And in spite of selling it as exercise, in spite of that, once people get into it, they find that, oh, it's very enjoyable. And the joy part is what uh, brings them back. Well, let me ask you this. The word chakra has been mentioned throughout the show. Could you explain that, the word chakra and what the chakras are, to those who may not understand? Yeah, I, I thought you would never ask. Good. Yeah. This, is, uh, <laughs> yes, this is important. Okay, these chakras were unexplainable places before. In fact, you know, today's culture, materialist culture, we need to, uh, we need to go into this quite a bit because it is a fact that even feelings, are not that common for people to experience in the body. Of course, everybody experiences feelings, emotions, we call them, feelings mixed with thoughts, emotions, negative emotions, sex and violence that I'm constantly quoting, then examples of negative emotions. Um, why negative? Because you feel yucky after you have watched sex and violence too much. Um, uh, so, 
how do one how does one uh, get into body as being the source of feeling or is there scientific evidence in favor of it scientific materialists will have it only that there are instinctual brain circuits of uh, this negative emotion built into the brain and this is why we have emotion but this is not true we always had associated and anybody of uh, this culture knows that uh, love and heart is so associated that even now february 14 valentine's day we all celebrate the connection of love and heart to represent each other pictures of heart so uh, where did this connection come from well this is a simple connection because a heart uh, is a region where there is a organ called thymus gland which is part of the immune system which differentiates between you and not you me and not me what does that mean that means that i do not want any foreign object to be in my body foreign object to come into contact with me and this is true uh, indeed otherwise if this is this were not so if the immune system did not act we would be constantly suffering from negative effects of bacteria virus and all that but immune system protects us from it but the same by the same token immune system would be very reluctant to accept anything in their body but of course men women sexuality or men to men or women to women all con- all consists of penetration of some kind so why is that happening this is happening because the immune system functioning is suspended in romantic love when we are in romance with someone the immune system functioning is suspended why is it suspended and why do we feel love that feeling comes from because the immune system has a another system which can be called a blueprint of the immune system when we go into biology we find that it is impossible to make biological organs without having a blueprint for them and this blueprint is called morphogenetic field This was a name that Rupert Sheldrake uh, gave, uh, not completely original. The name was already around in biology, but he gave it the current meaning we are using it as. Consciousness uses this blueprint to make biological organs. And it is this movement of this blueprint, morphogenetic field, that's a tongue-tying word, but sorry, but that's the way it is. Morphogenetic field, it is the movement of this morphogenetic field that we feel. our vital energy is the movement of the morphogenetic field so when we understand it this way or when we feel love means that the immune system functioning in the heart chakra is suspended and this is the connection of heart chakra and uh, our feeling mm-hmm. okay and similarly i can connect any other chakra like the feeling we get from the navel chakra right at your navel is connected with stomach liver all those organs but those organs are organs of what metabolism right mm-hmm. anabolism to be specific and they are they support us physically their survival and therefore if i keep that organ satisfied what do i get i get security i have respect for myself uh, similarly uh, every organ has connection with positive something positive and also something negative if energy goes out of our root chakra ANS, which is an elimination organ, then we get fearful. Uh, so these things can be felt in the body. If you are careful, next time you feel insecure, we'll notice butterflies in the stomach. Don't think it's the stomach upset. That may be part of the case, but it's really coming from 
energy going out of the nervous chakra. It's coming from your feeling of that morphogenetic blueprint of your digestive organ. All right. Well, I've always believed that uh, our listeners should receive college credit for listening to our shows with you, Doctor. But uh, <laughs> well, well, it was not that hard. People know these things, you know. They are more than <laughs> anything. Indeed. Tell us, please, about your books, website, and where people can find out more about you. Well, um, quantum economics is the one that is most current, and this is the this is one of the books that I really think can change our paradigm fast. I have been trying to change paradigms. Self-Power Universe that you mentioned is the first book, and then Visionary Window, God is Not Dead, these two books are dedicated to showing the connection of science and spirituality. I wrote a book on evolution, which is creative evolution, which shows how Darwinism, which doesn't work with experimental data very well, can be corrected, and then everything is kosher with experimental data. with uh, evolution based on consciousness. I wrote a book on healing called Quantum Doctor, uh, and that establishes the uh, integration of uh, alternative and uh, allopathic medicine. Um, I wrote a book called Physics of the Soul, which is very important for those of you who are interested in survival and reincarnation. My latest passion is quantum activism, bringing the quantum worldview into, um, into full-fledged recognition by our society, especially by the academe. And this is gradually getting traction. Um, I wrote a book called How Quantum Activism Can Save Civilization. That was the first book in this series. And then uh, the book Quantum Creativity, because creativity is the way that we change ourselves and our society. And then finally, Quantum Economics is, will be the first of a series of books. Uh, I uh, uh, want to change all the social systems, and quantum physics is giving us the way to do it. And uh, so I'll write a series of books in that, in that vein, how to change politics, how to change education. Uh, so the quantum economics is the first of a series, but this is the most important one of this series because um, economics is the, is the way that changes can come to us most quickly. The economy is in dire trouble. We don't be lulled by the temporary... Um, uh, uh, top of the recession, but recession really is not completely gone. Europe is back into recession already. The American uh, recovery is very, very weak, very, very weak. And we are still not getting traction into that idea of meaningful jobs. People are still holding out. Uh, there's still this uh, inane, insane debate about minimum wage. Of course we need minimum wage. Of course we need a redistribution. But, but so long as this political polarization is in the Congress, nothing is going to happen. We cannot do this, solve this problem with politics right now. Okay. So with economics, we have a chance. Right, well, we're, we're, I'm afraid we're out of time, Doctor, but okay. I point out your Good. website. AmitGoswami.org. AmitGoswami.org. It's always wonderful to talk to you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank very you. good. Okay, let us go to our announcements. Oh, God, we have so many announcements. Alrighty, so on Saturday, September 5th, we're scheduled to speak once again at the Exeter UFO Festival in Exeter, New Hampshire. The townwide event is organized by the Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. Other speakers include uh, the great Stanton Friedman, along with Richard Dolan, Kathleen Martin, and uh, Jennifer Stein. And we will give you more information as that approaches. 
Uh, on Saturday, October 10th, uh, Ben and I once again will be speakers at the Greater New England UFO Conference at City Hall in Leominster, Massachusetts. Other speakers will include Stan Friedman again, Richard Dolan, Peter Robbins, and other UFO greats. Watch for more information on that event and others coming up this year. And don't forget to visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find nearly 600 free podcasts of past shows on both ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And I would point out, too, that September 24th, we will be at Hank's Restaurant in Brooklyn, Connecticut, within our listening area here, uh, with author Bill Hall, who will be introduced, well, won't be the first introduction to the book, but he'll have his new book, The Haunted House Diaries, based on the case in Connecticut that we often talk about, and it's going to be a real blockbuster. So we are... Uh, we're all aware of the terrible earthquake in Nepal recently, an especially terrible thing to happen to such great people. Uh, we recommend Action Against Hunger as a good charity. It's an American charity with nearly 87% of what you donate actually getting to the people who need it. Mm. You can find my books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook, and all the usual suspects. Uh, but if you buy them at BehindTheParanormal.com, we'll be happy to sign them for you. And uh, I will... Uh, uh, well, you'll be, help us keep those podcasts free is what you'll do. So next Monday, June 8th, uh, we'll welcome Tom Ross and Jennifer Ashford uh, to discuss Tom's terrifying experience with the Mammoth Mountain Poltergeist of California. And we leave you this evening with a quote attributed to the great Irish author George Bernard Shaw. Life isn't about finding yourself, it's about creating yourself. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on this great cosmic journey, and we shall see you in the future next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.